You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. We are going to talk today, well, it's the start of a new series on uh, a generous church, uh, being generous. And I'm going to be honest with you, I have sweated over this. Because I was like, well, we could talk, I could start off and we could talk about being generous with money and we could talk about being generous with time and we could talk about, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about something a bit different. But I need Nathan's help to start us off um, because here I have... a giant cake and we are going to eat it not just you Nathan you can take it out the wrapper though actually does somebody else want to help Nathan because you know it's a lot of cake Um, well done thank you Um, so we're going to just share it out so who'd like some cake I literally just bought this this morning it's fine You can say yes. Please say yes. It's the illustration, so you need to say yes. Somebody say yes to cake. Jim. Jim will eat cake. Yeah, he's up there. So, like, be really generous. There's a nice knife there. You can walk around with it. Big slices. Go for it. Nathan, you carry that. Walk around. Like, you know... Jim Carroll wants some. Oh, go big. Go big. Little bit of pace. (laughs) No pressure. This could take some time, couldn't it? Just like big chunks. Who else wants some? Jim wants some. Who else? Yes, at the back. Oh, (laughs) at the back. Louise is like, I want cake. I'm working hard at the back. You can do bigger than that. Bigger than that. You've got to go bigger than that. Louise wants some at the back. Jim wants some. It is nice cake, evidently. Um, I bought it this morning. from. Oh, some over there. Say again. Oh, yeah, the allergens. Um, (laughs) uh, It's not for vegans. I know that. It is... It's got wheat, egg, soya, milk. And it's probably made around nuts, isn't it? And may contain peanuts and nuts. Anyway, so don't eat it if that's you. Um, Generosity. How are we doing? Big slices, guys. Don't you hold back. Don't do that, you know, like, oh, here's a sliver. Or sliver, as I learned last night. Do you know that sliver is a word? It's just me that didn't realize. Okay. Nathan, I just want to say that the people over here feel very left out. So you need to, you need to like, move a little quicker and go over to this side of the room. And your wife will kill you if you don't take some to her as well. So... Okay, how much is left, by the way, of the cake? Oh, gosh. Tim wants some. Quick, tuck in. So it's great, isn't it, when someone turns up with cake or when you're at work and someone walks in and says, I've just bought some donuts from Sainsbury's and we're now going to eat all these cakes in the office. Obviously, in Oasis, we have bowls of fruit and nuts. That's what we eat in 
break times, not really. Um, but it's wonderful, it's really lovely when people give you stuff. It's generosity in action. How are we doing on how much cake's left? Say, still what? Oh, so much complaining. But there comes this point, Louise wants some. There comes this point when you're, sh how is it, Jim? Yeah, good. Nice, that's <laughs> another good thing. Um, there comes this point when you're sharing stuff out where you're like, oh, it's nearly running out. And there's probably, you know, quite a few people in the room that still want a piece of cake, but I think it's nearing the end of it. It's running out. There's not going to be enough uh, for everybody in the room. I want us to think for a minute about scarcity. This feeling we have of there not being enough. This feeling of it's going to run out. What does scarcity, the word scarcity, mean uh, to you? Just chuck out some answers. Anyone? NHS. Say again. I can't hear. Lack of food. Say again, Tim. Supply and demand. Not having enough. Frightened of being in the city. Shortage. The haves and the haves nots. Thank you. Scarcity. Scarcity can be about all of the material things. And as you know, that's something that we are super passionate about, about seeing change where there is injustice and bringing an end to injustice. But I also want to get us to think today a little bit about another dimension of how scarcity can show up and how it relates uh, to us thinking about being generous. What I'm going to say in this little talk is to get the ball rolling. We can never cover everything in this amount of time. So there needs to be more conversation that you have out of the back of this. But scarcity, I think, can be a mindset. I totally believe that there are things that are unjust and we need to fight, okay? We must do that. But I want us to think about how this impacts our way of thinking and how that then plays out in how we live out um, and uh, the choices that we might make and the way that we might particularly relate to others. Scarcity can be a mindset. And it plays out in how we are in ourselves. It plays out in our perspective and in our relationships. It has an impact on us. This is a picture of me when I was little. Ah, oh, I've shown it before. I just love showing it. Back then, you didn't get lots of photos taken of you. It's not like now. There's like 3,000 million pictures of every child. <laughs> I love this picture, but I'm aware of this when I was a kid. I was a bit of a sulker. Anybody else? Yeah? 
Anyone else do that salt? Bottom lip, sulking. I was a bit of a sulker. A sulker is a bit of a scarcity mindset. A sulker is a bit of a scarcity mindset. What does a scarcity mindset do? It robs us of joy. Because we live with this, what if this moment ends? What if this moment of joy ends and that was all there ever is? Like foreboding joy. Scarcity mindset keeps us in fear. What if they leave? What if that changes? What if they move away? What if this becomes different? A scarcity mindset is comfortable with exclusion and not inclusion. Because a scarcity mindset is preoccupied with protecting our position. A scarcity mindset means we're unable to live in this moment. Because what's happening is we're worried about the future or we're really concerned about the past and we're living either there or there and not here. A scarcity mindset keeps us in unforgiveness and a mode of revenge. It's because it's how we make things balance up in our lives. It's how we make things make sense to us. A scarcity mindset shows up as that constantly comparing ourselves to others and thinking we're not good enough or just believing we're not good enough. A scarcity mindset shows up in that spirit of judgment that we have, which shows up quite early on in the morning when you jump on the bus and you're like, well, I wouldn't have worn that. <laughs> no, you can't sit next to me because can't you see I'm important and I've got work to do? It appears as soon as we wake up in the morning. We pull people down because it's easy and cheap. We are basically counting and weighing our way through life. In our heads, we're measuring and assessing everything. And all of this robs us of joy and life and a spaciousness. Is the antithesis of generosity and a generous spirit. And it kind of works out like this. This was uh, a picture I saw uh, on Instagram yesterday. And someone was like, this was it. This is, I grew this lemon and this was all there was. <laughs> How rubbish is that? need a refund. I'm going to complain, going to write a letter. 
You should see, like, it's nowhere near as good as the one I did before. Can you feel what a scarcity mindset feels like? Actually, I'm lying to you. This is what the post read. It was on an Instagram account called Tank Good News Fantastic, really worth following. It's basically this. Someone's mum had planted a lemon seed a year before, and she was delighted. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing. <laughs> how cute is that? How awesome, how amazing, how wonderful. Scarcity or generosity, it shows up in how we talk. I wonder what your greatest experience of generosity is. It probably wasn't me giving you chocolate cake this morning. One of the most incredible experiences of generosity I have ever encountered was on a trip uh, we made to visit some of um, the communities that are part of Oasis in uh, India and in particular in Mumbai. And I had this uh, just utter privilege and joy of going to spend a little bit of time with this family who lived in a slum uh, community. And uh, they had nothing, <laughs> but they had everything. They had nothing, but they had everything. And they'd taken a little girl in um, who had been thrown onto a rubbish heap and they had found her, this couple, and taken her in. They were a really older couple. The dad was now dying with AIDS um, and I just was able to sit with them and was like... And then they ran out, they sent the little girl out to go and get some soda because they knew I'd be reluctant to drink uh, the water that they were offering. I was just sat there, just utterly blown away. They had nothing, but they had everything. We act out of what we believe. What we believe about ourselves, but what we believe about God. There's no escaping it. And what we believe about God has everything to do with understanding how we view life through scarcity or a generous spirit. And there are big clues into understanding more about this generosity and understanding what God is like, even if we do the quickest of dives, the quickest of dives into the life and message and example of Jesus. Everything that you read, literally everything, is an invitation, a push, a nudge into generosity. Everything. And generous love as a way of being and doing life. Everything is an invitation and a push to a different mindset, a way of doing and being in life and believing in life that transforms everything. Think about it for a moment. The story of the prodigal son. Three key characters. Younger brother goes off, causes shame on his family, asks for the inheritance, goes off to a distant land, spends it all. Then there's the elder brother, who's sulky Jill when she was a child, very grumpy, 
it's not fair. Why are you throwing a party? And the dad, what does the dad do? He runs to his son. He doesn't wait. He's not waiting for an apology. He's not like, you can come near me once you've said you're sorry. He runs to meet him. He asks for a robe. He goes all Beyonce and says, put a ring on him. Do you like that one? He says, put sandals on him. He says, get the fattest little calf you can, and then we are going to celebrate. We, in the story, when we read that story, we're like longing for some judgment and some weighing of the badness. But it's not there. It's not even in the story. Or when Jesus uh, is asked, how many times should you forgive? Seven times seven, and Jesus goes, 70. It's like, go beyond. Go beyond. Or the woman who, um, the woman is caught in adultery. It's actually the man as well. But uh, the woman, and uh, they want to throw stones to kill her because that was the punishment. And Jesus says, ah, oh, but anyone who's without. It's general, like, no. Spaciousness, generosity, not judging, not weighing. Can you feel and see the generousness in all of this? Or even that, you know, the, the barbecue after the, the resurrection, Jesus is with his closest followers. It's in John 21. And Peter, do you remember the last encounter between Peter and Jesus was denial? Imagine what's going on in Peter's head. I'm a failure. I've messed up. This is awful. I'm useless. And they can't even catch any fish. And then they encounter Jesus on the shore. And what does Jesus say? Uh, throw the net off the other side. What if there's other stuff on the other side? And they pull in a whole net load, and Jesus and Peter are reconnected. Can you feel like everything is towards generosity? There's a spaciousness, a generous love in all of it. What if God is not who or how you imagined? I'm going to ask Matthew to come up. Surprise, surprise. I did talk to Matthew about this, but you need to use this one. You can take your mask off as well. That fixed it. Yeah. (laughs) I've always been quite technical. (laughs) Um, So... uh, I'm just going to ask Matthew like a couple of questions to help us understand a little bit more about perhaps God's love. Okay? So Matthew, how many children do you have? I've got four children. Um, Josiah, Leo, Rocco and Zephyr over here. Lovely little Zephyr over there. All boys. Okay, now, when you knew you were going to have Josiah... What did you think about, did you have any thoughts about how am I going to love, like what's that, how am I going to love 
Um, I didn't. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't do a lot of preparation for it, just in general. But um, I think what what I was going into it, I didn't know what I'd feel. I didn't know, you know, when when he was born, how I'd feel. But what ended up happening was, you know, he was born, and um, the the kind of moment I can remember feeling that sort of uprising of love was being on the phone to my mum. So I rang her, obviously, um, shortly afterwards, and I couldn't speak and. I just sort of broke down. Um, and when I think of my love for Josiah now, so he's seven now, but, but I'm always sort of, you know, it's difficult to find the words, but that sort of emotion is what I remember and what I kind of think of when I think about how I love him. So it felt like all-consuming. Yeah. But then Leo arrived. Yeah. <laughs> and then Rocco. Yeah. And then Zephyr. Yeah. So how... Like, how do you love them when you love... I didn't cry for any of them. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. It's, it's funny. Um, I guess I didn't cry for any of them, but it's not because, obviously, I love them any less. I think what I've got... I, I went running this morning and I was reflecting on this because Jill gave me the heads up last night. But I think what happens with each child and each person in your life who you love is it, it's a new bubble or a new circle I'm a maths teacher so I think of it as a pie chart which is really geeky isn't it but um, you know my love for Josiah in a, in a circle here and then Leo came and he had his circle and my sort of circle of love for Leo was, was full and sort of that's my my love for him and that's where I draw my love for him from it's not like I've got four kids just lob it all in the kid love circle like it's one each and so, yeah, I think that's kind of how I would Brilliant. state it. Thank you. Well done. So, do you see, like, love doesn't get portioned up. Love just is, and you dive deeper into it. Love is like this endless thing. And in this reading that we had, can you see, like, in the reading, there's this notion of the expansiveness of love of generosity, of stretch, of being immersed into love. What happens is we discover the depth of love and we dive into it. Last week, Steve read this out to us as, as church when we were um, coming near the end of the service. I pray that out his, of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's not like you get a portion. We are rooted and established in love. Where you stand, where you stand, what you are established in absolutely determines what and how you see and think and therefore what you do. 
If there's only a portion, then there's scarcity. But we are established in love. God is love. That is such a different statement to God loves you. (laughs) I'm not saying that God doesn't love. I'm just saying that the nature of God is love. And we are established in love. God is endless love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We act out of what we believe and our beliefs transform our seeing, our thinking, our behaving, how we use what we have, how we use what we are, how we speak, how we perceive. The early church, mothers and fathers, had a word to describe the nature of God. They described God as a self-giving dance of love, perichoresis. If you've ever been to a Greek wedding or you've seen a video of Greek dancing at a Greek wedding, you know, like it starts really slow, people are linking arms, and then the music starts to, you know, warm up, and people start to move around, and they do like a figure of eight, and they're flowing in and out of each other, and it gets faster and faster, and it just, you just get caught up in it. The early church mothers and fathers described God as this self-giving dance of love and we are rooted and established in love, which completely changes your mindset. So I ask myself these questions. Am I awake to being caught up in this? Am I awake to what is already true? Because the deeper that I step into that, the deeper I'm awake to it, the deeper I dive into God is love, the greater my transformation from scarcity to generosity. Now, you might be thinking this was meant to be all about being church. This impacts us on a personal level, doesn't it? What does it do? It pulls us into the present. We find joy in the midst of everything even the hardest stuff. We can't help but enlarge our embrace to include. Instead of complaining, we focus on curiosity. We move to kindness, not judgment. We're full of wonder and not cynicism. We are happy to love ourselves and accept ourselves and not live in a constant place of comparison with others. We love, we don't loathe. We forgive 
and we don't seek revenge. We're into celebration and not division. And we understand that when you give, you will receive. And when you receive, of course you give. What's this got to do with us being community together? Because how we each are is how we are when we're together. The personal is the corporate. The corporate is the personal. I bring my understanding of this into us as community. Church, including, not excluding. Curious, not complaining. Church, not laying in to others. Wonder, not cynicism. There's a theologian called Rayner who says this, the measure of our love is to love beyond measure. You know when uh, Jesus... Uh, there was the feeding of the 5,000 and the little boy kind of goes, I've got something. I'm pretty confident that what was really happening was that little boy was pointing the way for everyone else to follow. Get your, get your food out, everybody. Start sharing it out. There's a Catholic priest who uh, was visiting um, some communities and he noticed that every time he was around the children, they would grab his arm and pull his hand. You know that when you, so you get someone to put their hand, you know, you sometimes see the Pope doing it, like blessing people. But this priest noticed that the children would grab his hand and pull his hand towards their heads and force his hand onto their heads because they wanted him to bless them. It was like they were begging for a blessing. How does a generous church show up? No one should ever have to beg for a blessing. No one should ever have to beg for us to be generous. Why? Because we are rooted and established in generosity, in spaciousness, in love. And it's how Jesus invites us as church to be, but it's how we are invited to be personally. It's about our hands. It's what we do. It's about our thinking, our mindset. And it's about our hearts. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks a promise to Abraham and it just says this, I'll make your name known and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. From scarcity to generosity. Let's pray and Flick is going to come and we're going to sing a song together. Let's pray.
God, thank you that you are love. That your love isn't, uh, like, like, by nature, you don't portion yourself out. You just are love. And we stand inside that love. God, help us to settle in that knowledge and to allow it to transform us. What we think, what we feel, how we relate, mostly, Lord, how we live and how we show up. Amen. Amen.